are listening to KC Sports Network. Proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner in possible. Coming up, Benny Heisler brings you the latest episode of Benny and the Bets, the sports betting show here at KC Sports Network. From props to spreads and everything in between, your sports betting show focused on our local teams is right here. So let's begin the show. What is good, everybody? Welcome in. This is Benny Betts. Very special guest coming up on the program today, the longtime president of the Miami Marlins. You can also hear him on the Nothing Personal show on Levitard and Friends at Meadowlark Media, uh, as well as an MLB analyst over at CBS Sports. David Sampson's going to take us behind the curtain on what it's like from a Kansas City perspective regarding the new downtown stadium discussion, how John Sherman, the ownership group, is basically trying to message a new stadium, how taxpayers could ultimately be impacted. Basically, everything that you need to know to help determine what's real, what's false, where you're being lied to, and, and where the actual ramifications can be coming from with regards to this new ballpark, and, and whether or not winning actually matters when it comes to getting this thing through. David's going to give us all that insight and more coming up on the program today. Before we get started, a couple quick housekeeping notes. First of all, if you are checking out Benny and the Bets today on the KCSN Royals feed, first of all, welcome. But second, please do check out the show. Uh, you can find it on the KCSN app. Just go over to KCSN Betting. You can find Benny and the Bets right there. Please subscribe. Uh, if you do so, uh, want to rate and review the program. That's awesome as well. Our YouTube channel is there. And the great thing about the KCSN app is that you can get to both instantaneously. So download that uh, wherever you get uh, your, your apps from, whether it be the Apple Store, Google Play, so on and so forth. Also, make sure you guys have this date circled on the calendar. It is July 29th. It is the second annual Tacos and Bourbon Golf Tournament with KCSN. It's going to be taking place over at Sunflower Hills Golf Course over in Bonner Springs. This is going to be an absolute blast. I'll be there. So all the more reason that you should come, but probably more so important than me. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be food. Uh, great sponsors was Holiday Distillery and Mission Taco. So uh, we're going to have some pretty incredible bourbon, some amazing tacos. There's going to be prizes, giveaways, a silent auction, uh, and one golfer. This is, this is true. Got this confirmed. One golfer will have a chance to sink a shot for a million freaking dollars. How do you say no to this? One shot, million bucks. That could be you. If you want more information, if you want to sign up, uh, make sure you head on over to kcsportsnetwork.com. You can also find all the information across our social media platforms, whether it be on Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you get all of your KCSN news, Facebook. Uh, also, if you're interested in being a sponsor uh, or you have just other questions as well, you can contact Christian Gumminger at KCSN Foundation kcsnfoundation at gmail.com. Can't wait to see you there. Uh, it's going to be an absolute blast of an event. Really looking forward to it. And now, without further ado, all the insight that you need to know about what the Royals are trying to do with this new downtown stadium project and more, here's the former longtime president of the Miami Marlins, David Sampson. Maybe you're thinking initially to yourself, well, well why, why David? Why, what's the connection here with KCSN, Benny and the Bets? Um, it's a little bit different. I, I will tell you that as someone who has heard and viewed David's work for a long time, both in Major League Baseball as well as outside of Major League Baseball as an analyst uh, and as a host of Nothing Personal, I will tell you that there is a unique perspective 
coming into the world of sports business, uh, being able to take people behind the curtain when it comes to understanding how ownership and how front offices work. And especially given the current stadium situation going on in Kansas City, I couldn't think of a better guest to have on the show uh, than David. So I appreciate you being here. It's uh, great to finally have the opportunity to, to, uh, to oh, talk to you. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Feels like there's stadium situations going on everywhere, everything all at once, right? So Oakland is happening. You've got Arizona. You've got Milwaukee. You've got Kansas City. There's always something happening. All right. So before we kind of dive into Kansas City specifically, is there a common theme within all of these different stadiums? It almost feels like ownership, and and please tell me if, if maybe I'm 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 lost a little bit here. Ownership comes up, they have a proposal, and I think it always sort of feels like they assume that it's just going to pass through, but in reality, there's a lot more hoops that need to jump through. In your situation in Miami, it, it felt like you really kind of took care of all those details right away so that the announcement could just get made. What am I missing when it comes to all these different stadium deals and negotiations and why it's been such a difficult process for pretty much everybody over the last several years? It's like when someone wins an Oscar and you haven't heard of them and you say, wow, you're an overnight sensation. And they'll say, no, I've been struggling for 12 years, waiting for a role, waiting for the opportunity. You think Marlins Park got done quickly. Wayne Huizinga tried to get a new ballpark starting when the team got there in 93. Then John Henry tried. Then Jeffrey Loria tried and finally succeeded. When Jeffrey Loria bought the Marlins in 2002, I said to him, I will get a new stadium done and we will be open no later than 2006. And if I'm a failure, it'll be 2007. Cut to it opened in 2012. <laughs> so definitely not an overnight sensation. The difference is you're not remembering all of the PR issues that took place in trying to get the public money, getting the public-private partnership off the ground, announcing it, trying to get buy-in by the people who mattered, who were the people with the votes inside the city and county commission, trying to make it understood why the people don't get an actual vote or a referendum, fighting lawsuits that came from Norman Brayman and others. It was a disaster of events that took place. And that's what you need to do to get a stadium done. It's gonna be hard. Any public-private partnership is hard, including corporations who are incentivized to move to a particular city or state with tax-based incentives, which happens all the time, you read about it when it's done. You don't read about the back and forth that goes on because it's private. Baseball, there's nothing private about it. When it comes to Kansas City specifically, I, I know you've had an opportunity to view it from, from the outside lens looking in. Uh, John Sherman obviously buys the team with his ownership group a handful of years ago. And now the conversations have moved from going from Kauffman Stadium, which is in the same parking lot as... Um, as Arrowhead Stadium. So from a, a parking perspective, you know, it's very easy. Um, you know, they did recent renovations within the last, I believe, 10, 15 years ahead of the All-Star game. Um, but the the current ownership group is looking primarily at downtown. Um, since then, you know, there's been talks of relocation. There's been shopping for incentives, um, some community benefits agreements. Can you kind of paint a picture of the playbook for mm -hmm. what ownership is trying to do to sort of set the bar within their fan base to say, 
this is why we believe a downtown move is a good idea, even before having the conversation about where the money is going to come from. What is the least amount that we have to give to get the most that we can get? So that is where everyone starts. And that's not unique to baseball. That is unique to business. You are trying to sell a product for as much money as you can while paying as little as possible to make it, right? That increases your profit margin. In baseball, you are trying to have a building that throws off revenue where you can have as high a payroll as possible because the object is to win as many games as possible without losing money operationally. And the reason why the new stadium cycle never ends is that every team is constantly leapfrogging the next lowest team. Where am I trying to get to in revenue? What do I need to do to get there? What Sherman said is, listen, my view is a downtown stadium will make things way easier for people to make game day decisions to engage with our stadium in order to increase the revenue. When there's no games going on, nobody's going to Coffin, which by the way is an incredible stadium, one of my favorites in baseball. I always loved going to Kansas City. But in my opinion in KC, you don't by accident go there. It's as a destination and that's it. When you've got a downtown stadium, there can be more activity. There can be things going on all throughout the year, even during the winter, more events, more, more retail, more stores, more commercial. What you're seeing a lot of is owners making real estate plays where a stadium is a part of it, but the other development around the stadium is such a crucial part because the money that you make for that development, the Cardinals ballpark village, everything going around the new Atlanta stadium, which they moved to the suburbs basically, but they built an amazing destination. What Oakland was trying to do in Oakland around the Howard terminal, what inter Miami did with Messi, what they're trying to do with their stadium in Miami, which is a big real estate play. That's what you're seeing everywhere because the money that you make from that doesn't go against your revenue sharing. So the amount of revenue sharing that the Kansas city Royals receive, would not go down by the amount of revenue they make from anything going on around a new downtown facility. And that's a very important point. And it's a struggle to get any of these deals done. And it requires the owner or a team president to be unpopular. And most owners don't like that. So I wanna, I wanna follow up on that in just a second, but when news comes out that there's private funds will pay for sort of this bulk of the Royals new stadium downtown. Obviously you mentioned the, the real estate aspect and I'm thinking about where I grew up in Chicago with all the different real estate developments that took place in and around Wrigley Field. If, if you go to Wrigley now, um, as compared to 10 years ago, uh, all the different local shops are now owned by the Ricketts family. Everything has changed drastically because they control that real estate. So when it comes to the concept of, of private funds being involved in this process, it, I know you not necessarily, we don't necessarily know the specifics, but what exactly does that mean? Where is that private funding likely coming from? And do you believe that that's likely being floated by ownership to different media networks to try and control the PR narrative as well? Well, no, I think that when you, the private money for these deals comes from debt. No owner basically stands up and writes a check for what their contribution is to a stadium. It's great PR to say that we're doing a stadium privately. No public funds for this building, but they're lying to you. 
Of course, there are public funds being used, even if they say there aren't, because of something called public infrastructure, improving the roadways or figuring out any, any sort of thing with traffic or utilities or anything that's required, electric, anything that's required around a new building is being done by the public and being paid for by the public, whether you realize it or not. But what owners do is they go to a lending institution, like a bank, and they say, here is our financials. Here is what we expect. If we get this building built in downtown Kansas City, here's where our revenue is, here's where it's going to go, and here's the ancillary revenue we're going to get. Add that all up, and that should be enough to cover the debt service, meaning the amount that you owe in interest and principal when you borrow money. Therefore, lend me the money so I can participate privately getting this ballpark done. But look at all the other revenue I'm gonna get from it. And you get an increase in the value of your team. So getting a new ballpark is tremendously helpful for the value of your team and for the value of your annual operation. From a messaging standpoint, what should fans be on the lookout for? I remember you, Billy Corbin, put together uh, that video uh, with regards to the Inter-Miami proposed stadium deal, basically saying it's a scam. Watch out for how this is going to impact taxpayers in the county. Uh, what should taxpayers in Jackson County, assuming that the downtown stadium gets done and accomplished, because there's always conversations and you know it's part of the playbook about relocation, mm -hmm. um, eventually to all get what they want. But but what should fans be on the lookout for from a messaging perspective to know, eh, kind of smells like bullshit. I think my point with Miami and why I agreed to do that with Billy Corbin is that I was just trying to inform the public what was happening and that this was a real estate play by the owners of Inter-Miami and that's all it was. It happened to include a stadium, but make no mistake, they were getting to develop an area that had not been developed before. And if you took that out to bid to other developers, you would get a better price than what you were getting for having this be part of a soccer deal. In Kansas City and in any city, what you need to look out for is what really is happening with the public money. Where is it coming from? In Miami, the public money used for Marlins Park was not public money that could be used for teachers or firefighters or any first responders. It only came from money that could only be used for sports teams or for convention centers. It was tourist-based money with no increased taxes or new taxes. So the first thing you look for, are we using an existing tax stream? Are we using a tax stream that could be used for something else? And if so, what? So what's the opportunity cost for using it for baseball versus what else it could be used for as governed by your state legislature? And then who's gonna take care of the stadium? This is the hidden absolute 800 pound gorilla in the room, every room. Who's gonna take care of the stadium when it gets older? Because these stadiums get older quickly. Marlins Park is already entering, what, it's 12th season or 13th season? Camden Yards, one of the great stadiums, it's old. In documents, you often get a paragraph which says, we'll worry about that later. And that's a big thing for taxpayers because you can't have what they call, is it a green elephant 
I wish my producer Coco were here. He always answers. Uh, white elephant. What's the thing where you have a big building and it's it's in disrepair and it makes your city look terrible? I, I don't think it's white elephant. I think white elephant is like the the gift exchange during the holidays. But oh, maybe you're right. It's something like so. Imagine building this brand new stadium. Everything's great, but then all of a sudden it looks like it's on the set of This Is Us or That Was Us or The Last of Us or that's this dystopic place. <laughs> you need money. So my point is, and we got off off track for 30 seconds, it's look for hidden costs, but don't look for the team to help you with a roadmap. And don't look for your local politicians to help you with a roadmap. It's something that people have to figure out for themselves, sadly. David Sampson is our guest here on Benny and the Bets. We're gonna take a super short break. Be right back with more David Sampson talking about the Royal Stadium plans, uh, issues along the way, and whether or not coming up on the other side, if a team is bad, whether or not that actually makes a difference when it comes to trying to get a stadium deal passed. Stay with us. This is Benny and the Bets. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain. Educate. Inform KC Sports Network. All right, David Sampson, the longtime former president of the Miami Marlins, is with us. He's also the host of Nothing Personal on Meadowlark and the Levitard and Friends Network, and also an MLB analyst for CBS. So, Royals fans have gone from a point of euphoria from the mid two from the mid twenty tens uh, with the back to back World Series um, to kind of hanging on for nostalgia when Hosmer and Moustakis and Kane were entering their final years, uh, it's gone from a place of frustration with the fans, considering their, their lack of production, their lack of success to almost sort of indifference now, uh, which is the worst place you want to be as a fan when you're just indifferent. You don't have an opinion either way. You're just, ugh, I want nothing to do with this team. Does it matter when it comes to trying to get support for a new stadium project when the team is bad versus when a team is good. And I, I bring this up because I feel like it matters more once the stadium is built. There's always going to be excitement about a brand new stadium. You're going to be able to fill the seats for maybe the first couple of years. It's whether or not you can sustain it once the stadium is built. Am I off base here? I'm so frustrated right now. And I'll, uh, I'll tell you why. It is incredible to me that anyone in Kansas City can have anything but love for the Royals. There was a world championship, a world series. What is it, eight years ago? It's 20, practically yeah. yesterday. <laughs> Two straight appearances, one actual real world series. There are markets who would kill and die for that. They would dream about it. Why fans have the feeling, and I love being a fan. I used to be one before I got into sports, and now I'm not, sadly, because I know how the sausage is made. But man, are we greedy or what? We had it all. What is your expectation? If you don't win a World Series, that your team is terrible? Well, guess what? You have a 3% chance every year of winning the World Series. That means you have a 97% chance every year of being grumpy and miserable and not thankful. The Royals, like 26 other teams in baseball, have open windows to compete and closed windows. Many teams with their open windows still won't win a World Series. They won't even get to the World Series before they have to close the window and then rebuild to the next open window. 
if you're not a fan of the Yankees or the Dodgers, or maybe now the Mets, but not really because they stink, maybe the Padres, no, not them, they stink. It's pretty much any team but the Yankees and Dodgers. You're not going to be in it every year. And even Yankees fans, I'm sorry to say, they're despondent that their team hasn't won a World Series since 09. Yet their owners spend so much money on payroll. I want fans to realize how hard it is to actually win the World Series and to be appreciative when you do. That's number one. Number okay. two, zero. That's the correlation between winning games and getting a stadium done. When the Marlins won the World Series in 03, a legislative assistant said to me, you just got yourself a stadium. Yeah, nine years later, <laughs> after we tore down the team after 05 and started over. Oakland, terrible this year, not relevant. They were amazing through the 20s, through the early 20s where they were making the playoffs. I don't know the stats, maybe four years in a row or four to six that they were in the playoffs and they didn't get a stadium done. And now they're with Kansas City, the worst teams in baseball. It's just not relevant. The legislature, the legislative body doesn't look at it. MLB doesn't look at it. The owners don't look at it. It's really not relevant. I do want to go back to the first point you made because I, I I think having the perspective that you do and the insight that you do is interesting. And I'm I'm not from Kansas City. This is entering my my soon to be tenth year here. Um, and from my experience with the fan base, I I think from a appreciation standpoint, I, I don't know if you will find more fans in baseball as appreciative of what the Royals championship teams and the contending teams did than Royals fans. I, I think that love and that admiration is there. But I think if you're looking at the team as a whole and what you were told by, not necessarily ownership, but from the front office saying, yes, we're going to be entering a rebuilding stage. But we have uh, 58 and 104, 59 and 103, the shortened 2020 season, 26 and 34, uh, a 74 and 88, and then we're talking about two teams that in the last two years when improvement was expected based on expectations from the actual front office, mm -hmm. they've been amongst the worst teams in baseball. So I, I agree with you that yes, it is incredibly difficult to win the world series. And to your point about teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers, I think there is also a sense of appreciation from those fan bases that even though they're not winning Yankees more so than, 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 than the Dodgers, at least the effort from ownership, to spend money is there. I, I don't think you can say that right now with Kansas City. Well, but it's a different market. So I don't think it's, it, it's, it shouldn't be required of an owner to spend money as though they're in a market that they're not. Peter Seidler owns the Padres and he spends money like he's in LA when he's in San mm -hmm. Diego and it's not sustainable. And that's what makes 28 teams root against him and root against the Padres, which they're doing. They want him to realize that what he's doing is both not good for the game and it doesn't work. What Kansas City is doing, what teams do when they rebuild, that's your best bet, and still it's not guaranteed to work. But why would you lose money in any business you're in? Why would you run your business to lose money? It's absurd. Are there times that you would take a chance when your team is ready and get someone at the deadline to go for it? We did that with the Marlins all the time, delusionally. We would trade for guys at the deadline because we wanted to pretend that we were in it or that we could be in it waiting for the hot streak. It's crazy talk because operationally, these teams are not making money. 
and I know people don't believe it, but I ran a team for 18 years. There are years you make money, but the overwhelming majority of years, at best you're break even, but mostly your owner is writing checks or taking on more debt. And it's really hard in baseball. It's not like you can sign LeBron James and all of a sudden you're in the playoffs. Baseball, look, by the way, side note if we have time, Otani and Trout have never won a playoff game on the same team. It's unbelievable, right? So that's it. That to me is the end of the discussion when it comes to teams and how hard it is to get to October and then through October. Can, can you explain the contrast really quickly about how if teams aren't always necessarily making money, um, how that contrasts with the concept that the team's value continues to go up every year, that there's really no depreciating value for owning a sports team? How, how do those two ideas mesh together. Well, I, I would say to our owner when we were losing, let's say $27 million operationally, and I would say to him, you need to come up with the 27 million so we can make payroll, but I promise you that your team is worth more than $27 million more this year than it was last year. So you're getting a good return on your investment. And the owner would, would say to me, and all owners say to their presidents, that's fine. Where am I getting the 27 million from today? You go to a bank and borrow it, I can't borrow anymore. I'm not allowed to borrow anymore. Do I sell other assets? Do I reallocate? That is what happens even with billionaire owners. That same discussion happens. How are you funding today's losses in order to capture tomorrow's appreciation? Because if you can't fund today's losses, tomorrow's appreciation is meaningless because you're not gonna be around. And so that's when you start thinking about the cost of capital. You start thinking about your allocation of assets and owners decide what they wanna do year to year. Are they willing to keep writing checks knowing their team value is gonna go up? Some are, some aren't, and I don't blame either side for that. When the concept of nothing personal first started for you, I, I, I wanna sort of transition a little bit because I do wanna talk to you about the show and, and your transition out of uh, Major League Baseball front office and, and being a president. When the concept of the show first came up, uh, the, the main idea, obviously, is that it's nothing personal, it's business. But when you first started in baseball, do you remember like a distinct moment, whether it was with the Expos, whether it was with the Marlins, that that concept really came across to you for the first time that kind of just hit you like a, like a, you know, running into like a freight train, like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, that happened early in my career, actually, when I was, um, delivering newspapers in Europe right out of law school. That's, I started a business called News Travels Fast, getting the New York Times to Europe same day. And I remember going on sales calls in Paris and, and, and London and trying to sell papers same day. And very often I would be turned down and people would say, no, I'll get the paper on Wednesday. I don't need it Sunday. This is before the internet. And I was trying to do it same day. I was trying to explain why my product was better and why you'd pay more to get papers in a timely manner. And I remember when the internet started and I realized that my business was gonna go away because people were willing to read the paper on a device, which I never thought possible. Who would ever not want a real paper? And I remember, starting at Morgan Stanley when I stopped the business because I knew it was a declining asset. And I moved to Morgan Stanley. I remember thinking to myself, wow, one of the hardest things in life is knowing when to let go of something you love or knowing when something's not gonna happen that you thought would happen and making that adjustment. And I took that lesson with me into baseball for all those 18 years. 
and it remained one of the hardest things, which was knowing when you are pushing for something, when you're delusional, when you're not evaluating the area properly, the environment, when you don't realize that your team is not good, or you think a player's good when he's not, or you think a player wasn't gonna be good and he is, and the reality that we're running a business. And so when I stopped after 18 years, I wanted to do a show, but I would only do it if I knew that I was not gonna get back into sports. You can't have an honest show. The reason why my show does well is no one with my experience is willing to talk about things the way I am because they're all hoping to get another job. My view is, of course, I already ran a team for 18 years and won a World Series, bought and sold teams. I don't wanna do that. I love being in the media and I love giving people the truth about what goes on because it's the quiet part out loud that no one's willing to talk about. But I am and that's the niche that I have and it's worked tremendously. And by the way, I love what I'm doing. I love doing The Daily Show. It's a grind. It is tiring and hard, but I'll tell you, I love it. It's been a really fun show to be able to dive into, gain a lot of insight from. Um, I've always enjoyed your conversations too with Dan and the rest of the group over at Meadowlark. So um, personally, I was thrilled to see that uh, you had the move over there uh, to host Nothing Personal full-time. David, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, hoping we can do this again soon. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.